everyone. How are you guys? Hey, Chetan. Hey, man. I'm fine. How about you? Yeah, I'm good. Hello, sir. Over you were talking about some cosmology thing that you were reading recently. What was that about? Uh, uh, yes, I, I've moved on to sort of cosmology uh, lately from particle physics. Uh, it's actually uh, pretty interesting. So, uh, so we all know that it's uh, like the most popular sciencey topic out there, and most of us got interested in physics because of you know things like the Big Bang and the universe expanding and black holes and all of that. So it's it's pretty exciting. This, this revelation. So I mean, I'm, I mean, you guys know it now, but maybe for our listeners. So when people picture the Big Bang, they picture something like you know a point, and then it explodes into you know the entire universe. Uh, that's actually not what happens at all. The, the 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 key point is, and this is actually a very big intuitive hurdle when you start doing it. It's not that the Big Bang happened at a point. The Big Bang sort of happened everywhere at the same time. This is a like this. This is something people need to understand. I think because it it, it it's a major intuitive hurdle because all these popular science books, the way they phrase it, is that uh, it, it's a single point and the universe expands from there and like there was nothing and now suddenly there is something. Uh, the best way to imagine it would be, for example, the universe was always infinite to begin with, and uh, you can imagine like a grid spread throughout the universe. And the best you can say is that the grid suddenly started expanding at the time of the Big Bang, and uh, very interesting things happen. So, uh, for for example, you guys know what inflation is, right? Right. So, mm-hmm. Amartya, I have a question here. Yeah. So, if we think about, so you said that the universe is like uh, some infinite thing that always existed, and then uh, we can think of it as a grid, and then this grid starts expanding. Uh, so it's a metric that starts expanding. Right, right. So um, my question is that if the Big Bang in some sense happened everywhere, so how does the universe being infinite even at the earliest moments uh, make sense here? Because if yeah, it happened so, everywhere, yes, then in some sense that would imply some kind of non-causal effects. Uh, right? Yes. Yes, so this is, but then this is this is actually fairly commonly seen, right? You guys uh, know that uh, galaxies recede away from us at superluminal speeds. It doesn't mean that there is anything acausal about this process. Uh, right. The met- the so the causality comes in when you talk about information flow, uh, uh, and the expansion of the metric is not an information that's. I mean, there's no physical information being carried here. Uh, the the, the 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 which is why I said the the grid starts expanding. Nothing moves. Nothing that's located at positions in the grid moves uh, at superluminal speeds or something. So even if a point was, for example, in some sense stationary at a point on the grid, and let's say the grid started expanding at superluminal speeds, you would think that the point is moving at a superluminal speed, but it's not. The 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 it the, it, it is itself not because because uh, when you uh, for example, define something like velocities. You need a coordinate system, and your coordinate system is attached to the grid, so everything is fine. So uh, basically, there is, there is this um, the grid. What you are saying, it is basically the fabric of space-time. Yes, yes, uh, uh, space-time. Okay. Yes, uh, actually, in Friedman cosmologies, it's the space that expands. Um, so. Okay, so this okay, so let's let's talk about DC two spaces for a bit. Uh, so DC, so we have a so we, we have general relativity that describes gravity and everything, and uh, there is a class of uh, space times that are solutions to general to Einstein's field equations. These are uh, your so-called vacuum solutions. That is like there okay. is no matter density in your universe to begin with. Okay, uh, okay. And these vacuum solutions have a very interesting property. Uh, it's that they are maximally symmetric spaces. So, uh, so it, I think it's called the Copernican principle. The, we, we like to imagine that the universe is completely homogeneous and isotropic. Uh, but when you come to relativity, you have to you have to sort of uh, do away with space-time being homogeneous and isotropic, and you stick to space being homogeneous and isotropic. So you look for a metric that describes a homogeneous and isotropic space. Uh, and uh, the simplest uh, and so and this is an example of a maximally symmetric metric. What what that means is uh, the, the the geometry can be captured uh, by the curvature tensor and the local signature of the metric. Uh, this suffices to know most things about it. So so there are ten. 
so there are 10 corresponding symmetries as in the flat space case yes yes exactly it's a it's it has the so this is what maximally symmetric actually means i mean rigorously speaking it it has the same number of killing vectors or the same number of okay, wait a minute what were the 10 symmetries again three rotations about the three axes four Six elements of Poincare group four translations yes huh, okay that's better yes Six elements of Lorentz because translations are in the point of view. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's just nitpicking. Um, yes, so so the so these are so our current um, uh, models are that of a DC two space. But there's a slight subtlety. So okay, so let's get to Big Bang and by what problems are what what the problem. So I like to uh, so this is something I'd like to point out. This is philosophically speaking very different from what we do in usual physics. So in usual physics. We have um, initial conditions and we have uh, the dynamics and we see how the state evolves, like what happens in the future. This mm -hmm. uh, in cosmology is exactly the opposite in some sense. You, you know what the dynamics are to some degree and you know what the universe looks like today and you're extrapolating behind. You, you're trying to figure out what the initial conditions were that could have given rise to our observable Hmm. That's 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 uh, that's uh, opposite to what we do in conventional physics, and this is what this is what makes uh, most of uh, cosmology kind of difficult. Because you, you see, <clears throat> it, it, there's uh, an abundance of fine-tuning problems. Chetan will also have a lot of interest because uh, there's uh, even string theory. People have a lot of things. Oh, we'll get to that. Uh, but so this this is a big problem with cosmology that there's a lot of fine-tuning you have to account for so this is in, in fact this is why inflation started with to begin with so okay <clears throat> if you so uh, we have Friedman's equations that describe our uh, standard cosmology these are basically Einstein field equations solved for uh, you know a perfect fluid um, okay and uh, Friedman's equations the, if, if you work out the equations you'll find that uh, the, the the curvature being one uh, the curvature being zero like the universe being flat it's sort of like a stable point of your universe. If the universe, uh, if, if, if you mean neutral current, point, right? Yeah, sort of like the neutral point. What it okay. means is, no, it doesn't mean, the, um, yeah, it means the neutral point. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, see, I don't want to get into this nitty gritty uh, uh, <laughs> semantics of the issue. The, the point is, uh, any perturbation from uh, flatness uh, is going to grow. It's, it's, a, it's like a repulsive point. It's a repulsive fixed point. That's the best way of I mean, okay. this is why Einstein uh, introduced the cosmological constant in the first place, right? He wanted a static universe. And uh, if, I mean, if you just leave the universe with gravity in and of itself, everything will eventually in billions, billions or several years collapse. Uh, and Einstein did not like that. And so he introduced a repulsive term, cosmological constant, and he called it a blunder, but that's actually what saved modern cosmology. Uh, so what happens is now, uh, you, you, what modern measurements indicate is that a universe today is extremely flat. And what that means is, if, if you work out the equations, it was even flatter earlier, at earlier times. And this is a weird, because at earlier times, it was flatter, but not exactly zero. So, but okay. now we know that any deviation from flatness is just supposed to grow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so this, was, this is the famous flatness problem of the standard Big Bang model. If the universe today yeah. is this flat, it must have been much flatter uh, in the beginning. And why hasn't the flatness grown? Because the equations say that uh, the, the, it, it's a repulsive point. Any deviation will just grow. But the only way to uh, reconcile this is to say that the universe started with a perfectly k equal to zero situation. Like that was an initial condition of the universe. But so this is in principle achievable. You say that the universe picked this condition to begin with, uh, that it's flat. Uh, but the, the thing with such things is, uh, while in principle these are possible, uh, you'd like to have some kind, it would be nicer if we could have an explanation to, you know, explain why the universe is so flat and not just have it as a random initial condition. We would like to have a more randomized initial condition and then have a mechanism to explain what we keep it as. It, it's philosophically mm -hmm. driven. Again, in principle, there is nothing wrong with having, in, I mean, you would just say, well, the universe chose what it chose. Why does it bother us? This is the anthropic principle, right? Uh, it, I mean, the universe. The laws of physics are suited just so that we are here to observe it today and ask such questions. Yeah, exactly. So, but again, Alan Guth disagreed. But um, <laughs> now, uh, the a bigger problem is the following. So, 
this is how the, this problem was first introduced to me. I mean, there's many ways to look at it, but this is by far the simplest. Uh, uh, this is how uh, my uh, mentor introduced it. So if you look at uh, the sky in the opposite direction, you will see that it's uh, almost, on, at, at least on large scales, it's completely identical. These two. What do you uh, mean by opposite direction again? Uh, you are looking at opposite. Like, what do what does opposite opposite directions mean? Man? Like, one eighty degrees apart. Oh, the northern hemisphere. Okay, okay, go on. Yeah, like you look in the opposite directions, you will see that uh, they look exactly the same. Or if you wanted to be more nuanced, you could just uh, look at the uh, cosmic microwave background radiation, and you'll see. Uh, you don't even need to look at CMA. Just uh, look at the large scale structure of uh, the universe and. Even if you look in the opposite directions in the sky, it looks exactly the same. And this is a very, very big problem because these regions when the universe began were a cause, they were causally disconnected in the sense that, okay, Chetan brought up a question in the beginning about the causality uh, associated with this expansion. And my argument was that the expansion itself uh, has nothing to do with causality. The expansion is just expansion of the metric. No information is being relayed. But if you have two systems uh, hmm. which are separated, which are space-like separated, uh, let's not talk about, we don't even need to talk about expanding universes. It would be weird to find that they are, you know, exactly identical. Because when we say that two systems are exactly identical, there usually is an underlying mechanism that brought them to equilibrium. Uh, if no signal can propagate between two events, between two points, or no signal could have ever propagated between the two points. So, for example, there are two points, and if let's say point A and point B, right? And let's say point A emits a photon, and if the mm -hmm. photon could never reach point B, then you can be certain that A and B are never interacted or communicated with each other in the past. And so, there okay. is, uh, if if A and B were different configurations to begin with, there is no physical process or no causal process by which they could have. Uh, uh, achieved a similar state. If they were different to begin with, they must have, they, they must stay different, right? Mm -hmm. Because simply, simply because no, uh, the photons have never had the chance to reach the other point, and that's simply because space was expanding. So the photons started moving, sure, but then this their also light cones are disjoint. That's what you mean. Yeah, the light cones are disjoint. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's a that, that's a nice way to put it. Now, uh, mm -hmm. the, now the thing is, the, these points were uh, never in causal contact with each other. But yet you see that they, they look exactly identical. In fact, if you plug in some numbers, you'll find that, uh, uh, okay, okay, let me get to CMB before I do that. But anyway, the point is, uh, if, if you look in the opposite direction to the sky, they look exactly identical, despite never having interacted with each other. The only way to, I mean, explain this in standard uh, Big Bang is to say that the universe was always homogeneous. So again, of all the possible configurations it could have assumed, it picked the most, uh, uniform one it could have and again in principle it's okay but it's it's again you see a question of fine-tuning why did the universe pick up the two questions no no i was just thinking in terms of random just look at the possibility that the universe was perfectly homogeneous that probability is vanishingly small right exactly exactly and this is this is actually a very good point uh, probability being vanishingly small uh, and the point is the the flatness problem i mentioned earlier uh, that has directly to do with something called as the entropy problem. And this, this happened later, actually. So you, you'll see that uh, the reason that the universe is so flat today uh, is, it has a lot to do with the entropy contained in the universe or how the entropy has grown. So uh, this, the, the, the statement which you just made that the probabilities of choosing such a special state are very small uh, is exactly correct because, I mean, the associated entropies work out that way. So the uh, so the, there's a the, uh, and entropy. I mean, it's not very hard to see uh, the scale factor and time uh, and temperature. Sorry, scale factor and temperature have an inverse relationship between them. Since so, you can work out the math, and you'll I mean, I don't remember the numbers, uh, but uh, roughly entropy scales as uh, the observable volume cubed, and you you you'll see that the flatness problem and the entropy problem are exactly the same. So again, the point mm -hmm. is, uh, sta the standard Big Bang model has a lot of these fine-tuning issues, which you can, I mean, believe, sure, but it's nicer to have an explanation. But then CMB right. came, but then CMB uh, observations uh, messed it up. Not, not messed it up, they just made it a little more, you know, they gave a greater push to start explaining these things. So, uh, so I remember we were discussing, we, CMB came up at some point and Chetan uh, 
talked about Ch- chetan mentioned that cmb is not perfectly gaussian uh, it's it's um, th- there are anisotropies right chetan you talk about yeah, there are some angular anisotropies yeah there are angular yeah so this is so yeah so that that's uh, that, that's an interesting issue and this it as it turns out uh, the reason that you have these anisotropies and the reason you have like large scale isotropy and homogeneity are exactly the same and it's inflation inflation makes both the universe homogeneous on large scales homogeneous and isotropic and also produces the you know uh, these random bumps like galaxies that we see today this is it's, it's mm-hmm. a beautiful uh, mechanism in that sense so what what exactly is cmb um the simplest way to put this is the following so the the universe began uh, and in the big, uh, and uh, i mean the, the the bang happened uh, and you have in the beginning there was a sort of plasma of uh, literally all the matter that existed in the universe and light was just constantly being photons were just being constantly scattered along with these plasma you you did not have free photons traveling uh, but soon enough with expansion the universe cooled down sufficiently uh, so that these so, so that now you had some sort of condensation going on and these protons and neutrons they started coagulating uh, into hydrogen and everything and now these photons which were initially just moving along with the plasma suddenly became free to just travel unhindered through the universe and this is what mm-hmm. we this this uh, era is called uh, the uh, period of recombination and this happened about um, I, i don't remember the number i think 400000 years after the big bang which is a long long time for cosmology by the way uh, yes and uh, this and this uh, it's these photons these primordial photons that we observe around us today uh, again uh, uh, i think the density of uh, cmb photons around every square uh, centimeter of us is like 41 or something like that so okay. they're everywhere around us and uh, so this, this to summarize so to summarize the universe was filled up with too much matter to allow photons that is light to propagate around and the cmb is made up of the first photons which could propagate when the universe just clear cleared up just enough for light to propagate through yes i think it's not just the matter it's the ions so there yeah, were right, exactly. ions yeah. that the medium was effectively opaque yes yes mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, it's science i mean that's what i meant by coagulation that's why i, I mean protons and neutrons are charged uh, <laughs> neut- not neutrons protons are charged but it's yeah so the, the the epoch of recombination was when photons uh, sort of became free from your uh, plasma and these are what we observe today and now this is again a, a very now this is where the problems begin so when you map out your cosmic microwave background radiation you see it's enormously uh, uh homogeneous and isotropic uh and you run into the same problem as before because if you look at the time of recombination uh and you look at the particle horizon at that time today uh any two points separated by greater than 2 degrees uh like the angular distance between them is greater than 2 degrees were causally disconnected at the time of recombination so oh. so mm-hmm. basically the <laughs> the regions in sky even 2 degrees apart must look very different but they don't and this was this was like a, you know a major a big puzzle because 2 degrees is like really small it's, it's really small <laughs> it is okay i think it is lesser than the angle your finger subtends in on your eye at arm's length right it's a little bit lesser than that i think yes maybe yeah, i'm yeah. i'm pointing my finger out and i don't know yeah, yeah. tricks <laughs> 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 Jay so Lewis couldn't afford. Like, he couldn't afford to pi square. <laughs> G is equal to pi square is equal to ten. And if you are an astronomer, that is equal to one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yes. Um, yeah, so so now uh, very what inflation basically does to solve this this is called the horizon problem. that there were particle horizons then and now they seem to have and the universe did not have enough time to equilibrate right so we see these photons these are not i mean the cmb we see like far out in the sky is actually the photons from very close to the period of recombination right they're like very very old and they had no time to equilibrate so how does it all like look alike 
and uh, what inflation does is it sort of pushes back the time for the big bang it so now the, if you imagine light cones uh light cones uh, the, the light cones which could not have overlapped because the epoch of recombination was i mean sufficiently close to the big bang so that points far away in the sky could not have uh, overlapping uh, light cones uh, now if you just push this back if you like claim that the big bang happened a little earlier than we think it did then you, the, these light cones do have time to overlap and this is precisely what inflation does it sort of provides a precursor to what our standard cosmology is like this is what happened before the universe started expanding as it as it is expanding today and what it says is there was absolutely rapid exponential expansion for a while and mm-hmm. during this expansion all of this happened uh, like so uh, during the period of this expand what this does is now to explain this uh, this homogeneous structure uh, okay so let me this is actually a, a very clever wordplay i think uh, so i said that uh, we see that the universe on very large scales is homogeneous and isotropic and these are very large distances and it's difficult to imagine they were ever interacting with each other but uh, <clears throat> the problem is that it wouldn't be a problem if uh, our observable universe today started from a really really small patch in the beginning like right after the big bang because th- that really small patch would have been causally connected but standard cosmology the problem with standard cosmology is that this patch in the beginning is a little larger than we'd like what inflation does this what inflation does is it makes it like tiny so a very tiny patch exploded into all of our observable universe and a very tiny patch is causally connected so our observable universe was causally connected at the time right and so it's it's reasonable to assume it's homogeneous and isotropic so this is precisely what inflation does and this is now this is i think fun territory for chetan and uh, people who do uh, supersymmetry uh, <clears throat> this uh, the so the question is what drives inflation what drives inflation what even drives expansion of the universe so the expansion of the universe we know from friedman's equations are driven primarily by matter density like the universe is at some stage radiation dominated and at some stage matter dominated and uh, if you uh, if you know uh, we don't we, apart from friedman's equations we need another uh, uh, information another equation of state to solve those equations right so for example if you have radiation then what's the energy momentum te- what, what's special about the energy momentum tensor for electromagnetic I think it goes as a to the power minus four or something. What is no, a? Let's just yeah yeah that's the that's the uh, density energy density. I'm talking about T mu nu, the em- energy momentum tensor associated with electricity. It is diagonal. There is. You uh, don't say. Yeah, every person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's rho by three or something. Rho by p by yeah, three p p. Correct. Oh yes yes yes. Yes, <laughs> p is rho by three exactly. Where does this rho by three come from? That's my question. uh it comes from the fact that uh the it energy comes from one of the friedman equations right no 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 that's the whole point friedman's equation don't tell you the equation of state friedman's equation tell you the, so one friedman's equation is rho dot plus 3h rho plus p equals 0 and one is an equation for h squared your hubble square uh and then you can combine these into another equation for uh, the acceleration of the scale parameter but uh, apart from these you need an equation of state you need a relation between rho and p and that and that depends on what kind of universe you're looking at are you looking at a matter dominated universe in which case you assume it's all non relativistic dust and p is equal to 0 right. uh, in which case one of friedman's equation becomes trivial to solve uh, or if it's mm-hmm. radiation dominated in which case like you guys said it's p equals rho by 3 and uh, uh, why is it rho by 3 is a very nice reason really uh, it's because and again this is why i asked you uh, what is the energy moment what special property does the energy momentum tensor of electromagnetism have the trace of the energy momentum tensor is zero t mu yeah. mu is yeah t mu mu is zero yeah and that's because electromagnetism is a i mean it's it's a conformal theory and this is actually very this is a very nice way to uh, physically picture conformal field theories why what what would one mean this is actually a good digression i think uh uh what does one mean when when i say that electromagnetism is scale invariant what does it physically mean i'm i'm saying is there a fix, is there a way to physically understand where does the scale invariance go or more precisely what what parameter associated so for example if you if no, of course, a very common trace of energy momentum tensor is zero for electromagnetism uh, yes 
but how is that physical so very nice no 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 that's not physical what i'm saying okay so I'll, let me just answer it then a, a nice way to physically think of it is uh, the fact that all wavelengths are allowed this is where the physical thing comes in so uh, when you have so for example in normal quantum field theories we are used to thinking of mass as a parameter that fixes a scale or something and i mean we know that mass is the same as uh, momentum which is the same as wave number which is the same as wave and the fact that electromagnetism is scale invariant simply reflects in the fact uh, that the solutions do not have i mean they don't cherry pick any wavelength all wavelengths are allowed like your solutions can have any wavelength and this is the scale, this is the sense in which electromagnetism is scale invariant no special the only scale you can have in your problem is a wavelength your photon is massless or whatever and there is no i mean the the theory does not pick out a wavelength all wavelengths are permissible and in that sense it's uh, uh, physically Right. Does this have anything to do with the fact the photon is massless at all? Whatever, yes. whenever you to higher order yes, loops. Yes. yes, yes, the word identities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very much to do. With that. Right. So uh, right. yeah, so so the so for electromagnetism, it's p equals rho by three, um, and uh, the the idea now is the following. these 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 p equal to rho by 3 and p equal to 0 they drive your normal expansion which you see today but what about uh, this what what could possibly drive such enormous uh, exponential expansion in the beginning and this I, is where einstein's uh, uh, where, this is where einstein's original blunder comes in uh, it's the cosmological constant so if you remember einstein uh, introduced the cosmological constant to keep the universe static well i mean just increase it and it will become repulsive and yeah. that's what happens uh, you 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 introduce a new equation of state p equals minus rho uh, this corresponds to a negative density in some sense and yeah. it, this this is now a repulsive expansion of state and this is what contributed to inflation and during inflation your hubble was almost a constant and it solves uh, all of these problems a lot of problems plague inflation too so but first let, let we'll get to that so now the question is what possibly could drive this inflation like why did the universe spontaneously start accelerating you know expanding so fast and what does this have to do with structure in the universe today now the the nice thing is uh, you you'll see that you can explain this uh, so 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 we see that to have this uh, rapid expansion we need a p equals minus rho kind of equation of state and it is you'll see that you can achieve this by having a scalar field that slowly rolls over its potential that means that we have a very flattish potential and your scalar field is very slowly rolling over it and this uh, field uh, uh, like will serve as some your cosmological constant this can serve as a, it's called the inflaton and uh, again chetan is going to be very happy with this uh the people suspect the higgs to have something to do with it yeah i've seen so one thing is i've seen these uh, slow roll inflation models but like they yes. qualitatively uh, predict all these features of inflation yes but somehow uh, i am not sure why they are not very uh, like viable phenomenologically uh so the so one of the biggest problems inflation faced was something called the graceful exit problem and in fact this is also the same problem that uh, uh that's so the, another alternative was i think something called as cosmic strings or something a very exotic kind of theory uh, that also so you also have more exotic problems with the big bang which i did not mention one is for example the monopole problem or the relic problem uh, right. what happens is uh, the the primordial soup had a lot of exotic particles or at least our grand unified theorists today they predict that they had a lot of exotic particles at the time and now the question is why don't we see them uh, and uh, so there so there were a lot of fancier problems which are i think first dealt with string theorists and these people but inflation also solves this very nicely it just says that well uh, the, now the universe is just so big that these relics are very rare and the probability of finding them in our given universe are is very small it does not say that monopoles don't exist it just says that we're never going to find them which is i agree i mean not a very um, heartwarming thing to say but uh, cosmic strings so now the problem is uh, this graceful exit problem and the point is well sure you have this negative energy density and it's expanding and uh, uh, what brings it to an end what <laughs> why does the universe suddenly stop behaving as an exponentially expanding thing and now 
starts expanding normally as we see today what makes inflation end uh, and this is there there's a lot of subtle issues involved here uh, not the least of them being uh, the issues of the vacuum so usually we talked about this the last time we use the bunch davies vacuum which is defined for dc2 spaces it is defined to be uh, the minkowski vacuum at t goes to minus the tau goes to the conformal time goes to minus infinity uh but right. now what happens is and this happens to be like the crux of my, uh, the problem i'm working on right now this bunch davies vacuum at late times that is the time inflation ends uh becomes a very classical look, looking object it it has a very large occupancy number it's a it's like a squeeze state uh and so this is what people often call a false vacuum it's a local minimum of energy but not a global minimum and then you have uh issues with well how do you now have a vacuum state how do you define a vacuum state and all of that thing this is actually a slight puzzle again in the beginning because what inflation requires is not just that your universe expand exponentially but also that the density driving this expansion be constant so normally you would expect that uh if 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 a volume is expanding then the density goes inversely with the volume so the right. density should decrease but but yes. inflation requires that the density of whatever this inflaton or whatever cosmological constant you have remains constant um, and this would seem to violate conservation of energy uh, right because uh, i mean the volume is expanding density if it remains constant then the total energy content is expanding mm-hmm. but again the saving grace is that uh, these this expand this increasing this energy is actually negative right the, the vacuum energy is negative um and the this this increase in energy is actually an increase in negative energy which gets compensated by these standard model particles popping out which have positive energy so total energy is still conserved uh and that this is the this is the broad uh, premise of inflation and how and, and so now you see that it gives sufficient time for the so the universe could have started in a very small causally connected patch and grown into the observable universe so that solves all your homogeneity isotropy everything uh the flatness problem is solved in a similar way because it's related to the entropy problem and now the entropy was very small in the beginning right. now uh, <clears throat> now uh, the, pro- the the nice thing is this also explains why we have things like galaxies and why do we also have inhomogeneities let me ask you guys a question uh, so we we say that uh, the, the current structure in the universe uh uh originated from some kind of quantum fluctuations in this uh, early universe right and you guys have heard of yes. this yes, yes yes so so how do you picture this what what what, what do you think uh it means to have a quantum fluctuation what is fluctuating what precisely is fluctuating is it the energy density or what is i think it's like a virtual particle okay, go on, some kind of particle creation is happening or something okay the number density of particles yeah, basically number density okay so essentially you're saying that the, the 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 main thing that's fluctuating is the energy density right sure. the, whatever the whatever field was but uh, as it turns out interestingly enough um, this is the sub leading contribution this is not the major contribution to our uh, perturbations that led to our current universe or the inhomogeneities in a current universe a very nice thing a very nice thing happens so what you do is so uh, uh, let me let me tell you how we proceed mathematically and then it makes more sense when i do it in words so you split your uh, field into two parts one is your classical infinite wavelength field that's homogeneous and isotropic so it's only a function of time plus quantum fluctuations about about your classical field uh, you call it some delta phi or whatever you want to call it what you find very interestingly is that uh, these fluctu- the, the the these fluc- the effect the effect of having these fluctuations is essentially that there is a time lag between uh, the field fluctuating at x at uh, x and t and field fluctuating at x dash t dash so <clears throat> what ha- so the the leading contribution is not the fluctuation itself but the time lag between these fluctuations the the effect of having quantum fluctuations the the primary effect the the energy density virtual particle creation is obviously there that's the sub leading uh, effect the cru- the crucial effect is the fact uh, that the these quantum fluctuations sort of have a lagging behavior so if you have a, so the, so not all points in space time uh, fluctuate at the same time in some sense so now you see if two points separated uh, fluctuated at different times 
because of rapid expansion, they would have just blown apart from each other, right? Right. And now they could have become two different galaxies. So the, the leading contribution is not fluctuations of virtual particles or whatever in your uh, energy density, but the fact that these fluctuations uh, have a time lag. And if the mathematically speaking, you have a parameter called the slow roll parameter that basically controls how faster inflation happens. Uh, and this uh, lagging uh, effect uh, is uh, one over epsilon. It goes as one over epsilon, whereas the fluctuation effect goes as root epsilon. So clearly, as epsilon goes to zero, that's that's a subleading uh, effect. So again, the, the 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 nice thing is that it's the time delay that uh, it's exactly the word is time delay. It's called time delay. Uh, that's the leading mm -hmm. contribution for these inhomogeneities. And now what happens is, how do these become like whatever they become? Uh, so I mentioned in the beginning that there is this concept of a particle horizon. And this particle horizon is essentially uh, the distance which has... It, uh, uh, okay, so the part, if, if the distance between two points is the same as the particle horizon, it means that these points have never communicated with each other in the past. And in standard cosmologies, and you guys would know this if you remember from uh, Astro's course. I don't remember this from Astro's course, by the way. Don't, don't judge me. <laughs> but, but, um, the, but I barely remember anything but bad things. But anyway, so the point is, uh, we have this notion of the Hubble scale, right? One over H, which we call, which is, uh, which is, which, which we often call the horizon. I think that's the word we we use in the course. The Hubble is the same as the horizon. This is actually true only for standard cosmologies. In fact, what inflation does is it makes Hubble very different from your particle horizons. That's the whole point. And what the physical meaning of the Hubble or one over H, the Hubble horizon or whatever you want to call it, is that uh, it sort of sets a length scale to your uh, problem. So now a very interesting thing, a very interesting thing happens. So let's say you have, you compute the correlation function for this quantum fluctuation, right? Uh, between two points. Now, the, this now there is no length scale. If you if these are within your uh, like uh, if, if if these are very close to each other, then there is no length scale to pick up. And so the only thing the correlation function could depend on is, for example, one over the distance squared, uh, just from dimensional analysis. Now, what happens is uh, this distance is growing with time because of expansion, and at some point it reaches your Hubble, and at that point uh, you have your your Hubble provides a length scale to your system. And your correlation function sort of freezes. Uh, your correlation function stops growing, and it has now more or less become a classical quantity. You can, you, you can. This, that's the whole problem. You can explain this correlation function also via stochastic uh, thermodynamic uh, perturbations in your uh, primordial soup. It's, it, it could, you could, you could equally well get this correlation function from classical fluctuations like temperature fluctuations. You don't need quantum fluctuations, and that's a very big right. problem that's going on these mm -hmm. days. Now, how do, what does this have to do with our galaxies or whatever? So what happens is uh, the, these fluctuation modes, once they have crossed the scale set by the Hubble horizon, they freeze. It's the, the, the jargon is they become frozen. What happens is, mathematically speaking, as long as you're inside the Hubble, um, they oscillate like every free quantum field oscillates. I'm talking about the Fourier transform, so the mode functions. They, they behave like simple harmonic oscillators. But as soon as you cross the Hubble, uh, as soon as you reach the Hubble scales, the, the differential equation, I mean, the, the differential equation. So uh, if you guys, I don't know if you guys know, uh, remember this, but the Hubble uh, sort of add, adds a friction term to your uh, inflation field. It acts like a friction Yeah, I, I've seen this somewhere. I don't know. You, no, I'm, you wouldn't have seen this in Astro, but sometimes you've done. Uh, you, you, I, I mean, you, not done, in Astro. Uh, not in Astro. Yeah, not, yeah, in, not Astro. in Astro. I mean, None of us ah, remember okay. what happened. Yes. Astro. I'm pretty yes. sure that's a, a vacuous state. We, 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 he could have done this, I and mean, we don't know. <laughs> but uh, no, but I mean, this is this, this is standard cosmology. So the, what uh, the Hubble sort of acts like a friction. It, it acts as a friction term. So for example, your equation of motion for your field phi is something like phi double dot plus 3h phi dot plus something equals zero. So this 3h phi dot, this is like a friction term. It's like a damping term. Um, <laughs> now, and now, uh, what happens is uh, this because of this damping. Once you've reached the Hubble scales, the equation of motion becomes just uh, phi double dot plus three h phi dot equal to zero, and this basically means that phi dot is uh, a constant. Uh, this, this uh, I don't remember the exact equation, but the point is, uh, your mode function freezes, uh, and so once you have reached a particular scale, it's no longer oscillating; it has just frozen into become a physical scale, and that's what 
these galaxies and right. it's a very neat mechanism these quantum fluctuations they the word is frozen in but what happens is that you have picked out a scale now now your theory has a scale which it has picked out and there is no other scale available so it must stick to that scale and that's how large scale structure arises because of inflation there's a lot of problems with inflation i mean i'm not saying that it's a very closed theory uh, this competition from co cosmic strings is not something i've studied but i do know that it's a major competitor to uh, inflation but it uh, it's it, i think it still has uh, these graceful exit problems like inflation we know there was this reheating period when everything decayed into standard model particles and that's how our current modern standard cosmology began uh, i don't know how do you do it in uh, the other thing but yes ha huh. so for some reason i think uh, we the the we were supposed to be talking about dissider spaces i think that's how we started yeah i think this was because maximally symmetric yeah or because we know that the curvature is slightly positive of the universe yes from planck measurements i think yes oh uh, actually i should have mentioned this so we use uh, we we say that the the inflationary universe was a dissider uh, but it, it, the right word is actually quasi dissider because dissider space time has no end like this to space time this it's like it has no boundary it doesn't end uh, but inflation ends so after inflation we have to change it so it's not exactly dissider it's dissider in a patch but yes i see uh, it's mm -hmm. yeah. but yeah the the whole <laughs> so does that mean that universe has always been dissider uh the inflationary universe is dissider again you could keep going back why did what was there before inflation and i have no answer to you no no before inflation like those questions don't make any sense because in some there sense, is no notion of time. time itself begin yes. at the big bang yes yes mm -hmm. oh this is interesting i have never like thought about it that way there, there is something more interesting i don't exactly remember i should have made a note of it but uh, there there is some there is something to do with the vacuum energy being exactly zero for uh, some models driving inflation the, these are supersymmetric models and I, this reminded me of what chetan had told us the other day of uh, supersymmetry having an exactly uh, zero vacuum energy supersymmetric theories having exactly zero there's a lot of work that goes on in supersymmetry also here right? i mean it's not surprising yeah, I mean, because the the su hmm, supersymmetry is supposed to be the inflation yeah i mean supersymmetry used to be a very like uh phenomenologically it in some sense uh, could resolve all these problems presence of inflet on dark matter particle and all these but then since low energy supersymmetry was not found at lhc then people have sort of abandoned it now at least for the phenomenological perspective like mathematically also, it's a very rich theory particle physics for example we talk of things like spontaneous symmetry breaking but we don't ever talk of things like lorentz symmetry being being broken uh, we don't say that uh, translation uh, i mean we, we, we don't say that the poincare group has broken a symmetry right uh, mm -hmm. or do we like we don't. I, don't i don't i don't remember i don't remember ever I, i've never come across an example where lorentz symmetry has been explicitly broken uh, spontaneously broken i mean that's what we like that's in some sense a holy grail in physics right yes exactly yes uh, yeah. but a very a very uh, but poincare symmetry on the other hand you you can break translational and time uh, time translation specifically in fact inflation is precisely a breaking of time translational symmetry a spontaneously broken time translation symmetry hmm. again dense matter the lattice theories are always translational symmetry broken theories hmm Now, this is something i uh, this yeah, is something i've always sometimes but there is this thing no that in lattice lattice theories even you don't even have the rotation symmetries you have discrete rotation symmetries you don't have this continuous rotation yeah, yeah. that's true in these that's lattice true. models these uh, translation rotation symmetries are mostly emergent so when you do the rg flow you go to the long distances you find out no. that <laughs> your discrete symmetries in in some sense combined to give a bigger continuous rotation yes symmetry. yes yes Yes, yes, that's what happens. But that sometimes even means that the symmetry is like approximate, since it no, only no, that appears just at long distances. Yeah, the symmetry is approximate and appears only at very large wavelengths. Yeah. For example, I have seen 
somewhere i have seen that uh, people sometimes expect that in these lattice models the gauge symmetries are uh, just uh, these accidental symmetries or uh, they are just artifact of low uh, largest in physics and maybe when you look at the high energy physics the gauge symmetry might become broken to look into that man that's interesting yes but i have to look into that because so, so you already know of an example of a spontaneously broken gauge symmetry right i'm talking to santosh right what yeah go so on spontaneous uh, breaking of symmetry is different from this right i thought you were talking about spontaneously broken gauge symmetries no 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 so what i'm talking about no. is uh, suppose you have some lattice theory and you look at it from uh-huh. uh, large distances so you find mm-hmm. out that in the lagrangian you have a Uh, this some kind of an approximate uh, gate symmetry like at that point you can't say approximate but you find out that this la- long distance lagrangian has a, a gate symmetry i see it's okay. like an emergent symmetry you're talking about emer- emergent symmetries yeah so uh, uh, what okay. some people expect is maybe this gate symmetry that you see at large distances maybe this is just emergent behavior and maybe at small distances the gate symmetry gets broken mm-hmm. so yeah, the reason yeah, huh. interesting for some people is because uh, for example people who do quantum gravity is uh, because in quantum gravity you expect that there are no global symmetries so in a full theory of quantum gravity oh. uh, these why, global why symmetries can only be approximate no no why is that again stephen why aren't there any global symmetries in the quantum uh, so theory of gravity one thing that i have uh, seen quoted is that uh, because in these so any theory of quantum gravity will in some sense have uh, some kind of diffeomorphism symmetry right right exactly coupling to it's coupled to gravity and so it must it's be coupled to gravity and so every time so like this in, in some sense breaks the global symmetry because every time you have a global symmetry you can do a diffeomorphism yes <laughs> so okay, that okay. that will in, in some sense break that but anyway yeah let me actually quickly answer your uh, initial question about anisotropies in cmb Right. Uh, and why why that happens? So there is an isotropy. There's two reasons. There's there's many reasons, but I mean there's two primary reasons. So to start with, broadly it is a Gaussian because we expect it to be a Gaussian. A free field acting on a vacuum gives a Gaussian function. But uh, <clears throat> so there's two reasons you will observe uh, an isotropy. One is obviously because Earth moves through this uh, CMB, so there's a preferred direction. So once you have subtracted off those efforts, uh, th- those effects, you still see uh, an isotropies. and this is very interesting this has to do with uh, actually acoustic waves at the epoch of uh, the epoch of recombination so when these things were, so when uh, the uh, ions like you said and the protons and neutrons they, they were getting coagulated amongst themselves and light was being uh, i mean it suddenly became free to start moving uh, this created sort of uh, ripples in your uh, primordial soup uh, because there were two competing processes one was uh, the coagulation which was creating uh, like regions of high densities and then there was light escaping out and uh, it's and these 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 ripples in an ex- and the, these density differences in an expanding universe gave rise to acoustic waves and it's exactly these waves that produce the, this uh, anisotropy and which is why you'll hear things like multiple moments and all that are you talking about so, baryon acoustic oscillation yeah I think that's that, that's what it's called. I mean, bar- yeah, baryon acoustic uh, oscillation. I think that's yeah. what it's called. I mean, that's also like uh, if this baryon acoustic oscillation is also one of the key pieces of evidence in favor of dark matter, mm-hmm. because you look at these peaks for these baryon acoustic oscillations, and mm-hmm. that the relative size of peaks uh, they tell us about the relative density of all these components. so this dark energy dark matter and then the regular baryonic matter i see yes because in this yeah. in this process this uh, oscillation process uh, as you said there are two competing processes one is this uh, coagulation or uh, gravitation uh, like gravitating system and one is this uh, i think some pressure due to ionization this uh, photons are trying to escape and they put some pressure on So, or maybe due to inflation i am not sure but the point is that this causes some kind of uh, as you said sound waves or acoustic waves in the system and uh, but the thing is that different uh, like things that have different uh, density or uh, equations of state they behave differently under these oscillations so for example matter as we know uh, the regular baryonic matter that we have it tends to clump together but dark matter it just passes through itself or something not it's non interacting 
and yes. I'm not sure about what happens with dark energy. And that is in some sense that affects the relative size of the peaks in this multipole. I think it's a multipole graph or something. Yes, yes. Multipole moment versus yes, uh, angle, yes. I think. Yes. And you get these three beautiful peaks in that uh, in this mm-hmm. uh, CMB uh, data, and that in some sense gives you one of the biggest evidence of uh, these dark matter and uh, negative energy components. Yes, yes, yes. You're exactly correct. Uh, do you guys remember uh, that? I think among the first uh, uh, seminars we had together, like we saw together in ISER, was one by Tarun Sorodhi. Uh, uh, I remember. Yeah, back then he was in Ayuka, uh, and the yeah. three of us, like we were fresh, fresh <laughs> first years, who attended this seminar. I think I, I think Santosh came in very late. I think there was a scene. I don't remember. Dude, I remember Santosh, Santosh came in very late, and he asked a question on Mark, uh, Mark's Mark's gravitation principle. theory, yes. something like yes. that. On what? <laughs> Mark principle. Mark principle. Mark principle. Yeah. Oh. And right. Sugat was sitting with me. <laughs> <laughs> Deepak Dhar was sleeping next to me and I did not know who Deepak Dhar was. And so I was like, who is this incredibly disrespectful person? This person has come all the way from Ayuka to give us this really nice presentation. This guy is sleeping. And then he wakes up randomly and starts asking questions. And then people tell him. Amartya, I also remember uh, there was one gravitational wave talk that uh, I think both of us attended together. We bunked some class and attended that gravitational wave talk in our first Um, year. Okay, who was it by? I don't, I, don't. I don't remember. I think it was by some ex ISER Pune student. I see. Okay. Some guy who used to be at ISER Pune, then I think he went to LIGO or something. Uh, like worked with oh, some wait, like, I think, institute with LIGO. I think I remember. So, I I remember. me and Amartya were sitting on the last bench and we did not understand shit in that entire talk. And as always, people <laughs> there were sleeping in the first row. And then somewhere <laughs> in the middle of the lecture, he wakes up and he starts uh, bombarding that guy with questions. And as always, that guy is not able to answer. And then he starts answering himself. Yes. <laughs> and he doesn't even do gravitational physics, so I'm not even sure what's more embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think we have severely overshot our expected duration. <laughs> okay, then we can end at this point now. Yes. Right then, Peter. Okay, bye-bye. 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 Yes, bye-bye.